Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Uh, The fifth Sundays of the month this year, I've decided that we're going to share stories of folks in the church. This comes from an idea in Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is really, really great. I want you to hear some highlights uh, from this text. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Let them make space for them to do just this. Those He redeemed from the land of the foe, those He gathered from the lands from east and west or north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. But then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. So let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. For He breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Verses 20 and 21 says, He sent out His word and He healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of His works with songs of joy. Let them exalt Him in the assembly of the people and praise Him in the council of the elders. And I really want you to hear this. Verse 43 of Psalm 107. It says, Let the one who is wise... Heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. So this morning in church, we're going to hear two stories of folks in our congregation. And what I love about both of these stories and what I love about, you know, going to lunch and hearing the stories of folks in our church is you never know what God has led people through. And so this morning, we're going to hear from Bray Killingsworth and from Lindsay Geyer, and you're going to be so delighted, but Bray is going to come first. Would you please give Bray a warm cornerstone welcome? Woo! All right. Bray, how are we feeling this morning? Oh, yeah, a bit nervous, a bit nervous, but always wondered what it looked like from the stage out here. Oops, sorry. I got gotcha. you. So, yeah, um... Yeah, no, honestly, yeah, a bit anxious. I mean, sharing your own story um, is uh, a bit vulnerable, but, uh, you know, it it is God's grace, and hopefully I can point in that direction of what God has done uh, in my life, so. uh, Let me me pray for you, and we'll dive in. Okay, that sounds good. Jesus, I thank you for Bray. I thank you for the remarkable things that you've done in his life and in the life of his family. And I know that his deepest ambition in sharing his story today would be that you are honored. Pray that his word would be received uh, with joy, that the wise would ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. And I pray especially for those who are going through challenging seasons of life, uh, that they would hear this as a message of hope and turn their eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, thank you. Um, So I grew up in a small town, Oklahoma, and... My parents had me when they were very young. My dad was 17, my mom was 18. And they, uh, 
in growing up, they have their own issues of abuse, uh, drug abuse, uh, addictions, and so I was, I was born into that household. Um, uh, I, I have a younger brother. He was born uh, a few years after me. My, my dad left when I was about three or four years old, and so he was, he was out of the picture, and I never really did have a relationship with him. And so, and just, and just being brought up in that lifestyle was a bit different. It was, you know, I, I didn't know any different at the time, but uh, just some of the scenes and some of the things that I was, um, that I grew up around. Uh, a bit about my, my mother, she is mentally uh, unstable, unfit. I mean, that comes, of course, with addiction and other um, just emotional uh, wounds that she has in her own life. And so, um, just growing up, I did not grow up in the church. Um, I uh, grew up with absent nights uh, by myself and just me and my younger brother. That relationship with my brother is very important uh, because we felt we were alone in a lot of senses. Um, and so that, that kind of sets the stage for just the, just the lifestyle that I was exposed to at a very young age and growing up. Fast forward to age 15, and, and, and again, back to my father. He was gone, but uh, I, I kept in touch with him, but it just wasn't a very prominent role in my life, uh, which has its own, um, you, you know, just struggles in itself as a child uh, growing up. But at age 15, I was, my mother left at that time. And so when she left, I was, I was you know, I was all... It was just me. I was always um, a hard worker. I worked hard. And so, but I was 15 living on my own, and I had my younger brother, who's 12 at the time. He was fortunate enough to have another family take him in. And, um, and then for me, I mean, he did come back home. It wasn't official or anything of that nature. And so he would come home, and, uh, you know, he'd come see me. We were very close. I mean, we had to be. We really clung on to each other. And so at age 15, as you can imagine, um, there came consequences of being left unsupervised, which for the most part, I was unsupervised for most of my life and I could really do whatever I want. But at that time, um, at age 15, um, you know, there was a lot, I had to grow up quick. And um, just one of the consequences of that is that I end up getting involved with a the wrong group of people. Um, and so, I mean, of course, the party life was there, uh, the drugs and alcohol, um, but this group that I was involved with was um, more on a, on a higher level. And the, the term that I came up with is it was structured trafficking. And so on an enterprise type level. And so I was involved with that and I was this vulnerable innocent child at the time, 15, and going through age 16 up to 17, I became heavily involved, and it was very transactional for me. And, and at that time, I'm trying to just make some money and, and do whatever I could then, but I did live this double life. I still stayed in school. I played sports. Grades were important to me. Um, but I would say what that, what that brought to at that time was and just looking back and reliving this was, I would think, fear was a big one. Um, that was always uh, um, uh, something that, and it was a, a, a present and danger fear constantly in my life. Mm. 
And, uh, but the, on the other side of that is that these group of people that I was with, they loved me in their own way, and they embraced me in their own way. And so we were actually a type of community, if you will. Um, and what happened was, and a lot like with your sermon last week, is I was hard around the edges. Um, and I feel God had my heart softened, but what would happen at that stage in my life is the town knew, the surrounding towns knew, uh, teachers knew, police officers knew, um, so I'm, I'm not hiding from anyone, um, but I do have this double standard of life. Um, and the church, I did go to church, I was not a believer um, at the time, never even given it a thought, but you know, church is kind of one of those places to where I'm trying to fit in with the school crowd too. And so I go to church, and it was my first experience of church not embracing me. Um, they were not welcoming. It was, um, I've never been so embarrassed or shamed being around um, inside of a body like this and them ignoring me. And so, and so that, that kind of put a sour taste in my mouth of what church was. I'd never really given any thought to Christ. But um, moving on, I'm almost 18 at this time, and um, I'm about a month away from the age of 18. And so I get in trouble. Um, and I'm going to jail tonight, and, and, and it's late at night, and I have a couple other guys with me, and so um, we're, here we go. We're going in. We got in trouble. We're caught, and so, and, and this is more of an overnight type of, it's just going to be an overnight type of thing. Well, since I'm not 18, they can't put me in jail. They have to hold me separately, and so I have these two other guys in front of me, and again, this is 2.33 in the morning. It's very quiet. We're tired. We're exhausted. And, but the police officer knew who I was because I was still involved with sports. And he, I remember him saying, hey, aren't you the third baseman for the baseball team, this local team? And I was like, yeah, that's me. And um, so he says, I want to show you something. And so we're walking in. Again, it's, it's quiet. Everybody's tired. And so these guys are going to jail. And what happens at this time, I'm sitting back and I see the doors open to go in, and the vibe changed quickly. They, I saw just a, a lane, an aisle of wide, uh, just hallway, but they were screaming, they were throwing stuff, they were laughing, and it looked like they were excited and angry all, all at the same time. And that scared me uh, quite a bit, and because I was in for trying to go, go in overnight, and I, got to think that night is it's I just looking in there I would not do well in there uh, and so I did not want to have anything to do with that it's like that's not good but some of the things that I could get in trouble for and the things that we were uh, doing um, would give me anywhere from 10 15 20 years hmm. and I, that's that's it for me um, I did not want to do that anymore and so what I do at that time is I go back to this group and I say hey I'm out I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And you would think, kind of like the Hollywood version is, no, once you're in, you don't get out type of thing. But they were very kind and gracious and said, we love that. We love that. We want you to go to school. Um, we'll give you your distance, and we'll respect that. And of course, there was a mutual respect of privacy between the both of us. And so at that time, I, I had a crush uh, in high school, and we... We started dating, which is my wife now, 
Uh, and so it, it turned, uh, I just did a 180, and my wife has a unique background herself that's very non-traditional from a family upbringing, and so we clung on to each other pretty tight. And my wife is, is very beautiful, um, but I was attracted to her heart. And so we always tell our kids, what makes you beautiful? Um, and it's your heart. And so I was, I was attracted to that, and she was, uh, was very sweet, and by God's grace, saved my life at that time. Um, and so we, we start dating. We go to OSU together, um, and we're very close. We're just, it, that's what it's all about at this time in my life. I'm just trying to start over. Hmm. And I go to church really for the first time that I can remember and walking away from it and saying like, hey, that wasn't bad. And it was Craig Rochelle. And I said, that was, that was pretty interesting. Um, again, didn't, didn't know anything uh, of the, the Bible, the gospel of Christ. And so um, fast forward, we graduate, we get married at the tail end of, of OSU, um, right before we graduated, moved to Dallas, and um, got a really good job right there in Dallas. Um, and just God's grace, a group of guys immediately pursued me. And God's pursuit of my heart began then. And I guess you could say, I would say I was an anonymous atheist at this time. I didn't know what I did not know, and I didn't know what I believed, and these guys were very patient. And so at that time, I'm looking at all faiths and religions, and not just Christianity. And I said, well, what about Judaism and the Muslim faith? I wanted to, I had all kinds of questions, and they were very patient with me. Mm -hmm. And I started to believe just on Jesus' miracles alone and just his character uh, and perfect nature and, I was, and just his radical explanation of the kingdom as he spoke with authority. And, um, and so I was like, okay, if there is a creator, if there is a God, uh, it seems like this is the avenue um, that had the answers. And so I'm learning, I'm, I'm going through all the scriptures and, I, and, I'm, and I'm fascinated and so my heart's open to listen. And one thing that was mentioned to me, it was a mentor of mine at the time, and he was really pursuing me. There's a few of them, a few guys, and he was with his mentor, and we came across some, some verses um, that said that Jesus died and he came back to life. And I said, that, that's impossible. That is impossible. Um, and so it kind of started all over, and again, these guys were just full of grace and patience with me. And I got really hung up on that. I said, there's, there's no way. That's, it's literally impossible for someone to do that. And so I just, and, it, and that really switched to apologetics at this time. You have to prove it, prove it to me. I searched for it, came to the conclusion, like, whoa, this is real. Hmm. It really happened. And so at this time, you know, my mind is blown and my, I'm shocked. Somebody actually did this, and what does this mean for my life, and what does he want for my life? Mm. And so I can remember my first um, just emotion, if you will, is fear of if he can come back to life, what else does he know? And <laughs> I was ready to go all in. And again, like at this time, I've never been a part of a prayer. I've, I've been a part of a prayer where guys will close us out in prayer. And I went to my mentor at that time, and I said, hey, I'm going to go pray. You know, what do I do? And he's like, what, what do you mean, what do you do? And I was like, well, the creator of the universe is about to hear my words. And how, what do I say? And so he walked me through that. Like, and I know, like, okay, the next morning, I'm going, 
I have an appointment with, with, with Christ and God, and I'm, I'm just, and I remember sitting down on my back porch with a cup of coffee, my heart's thumping in my chest because he's real, um, and he hears me, and it was a very intimate prayer. And what now? What do you want from me? What do I do with my life? And there, the, the job that I had was pulling me away from the home for extended hours. It was pulling me out of, out of, the, out of the church. Um, I was drawn to the money, uh, I, and it required travel. And I said, Lord, if that is a distraction, take it from me. And again, this is my very first prayer. And then within two hours, I got a phone call, and they let me go. And, um, and they, I can remember clearly, like, hey, you're a high achiever, high performer, hard worker. We love you. Finances are hard. We don't have the budget. We have an office in St. Louis. You didn't want that. We have to let you go. And at that time, when I got the phone, that God responded to me within just hours just shocked me and and so at that time I remember weeping and saying what is it that you want for me in my life I submit to you uh, completely unto you and so um, I went all in all in for Christ um, I started taking classes equipped disciple learning the history of the Bible um, this radical shift and you know at this time in my toddler phase of my walk I'm going up to almost anybody I can find and saying, hey, have you heard of Jesus? Do you know of Jesus? And it's like, yeah, I know Jesus. And it's like, well, did you know he came back to life? He died and came back, came back to life. And, and they're like, yeah, I know that. And I'm like, is that not crazy? Is it, you know? And they don't know how to respond. And, and so this is really real to me in my infancy of, of Christianity. And so these guys um, uh, in, in community, that's how I came to know the Lord. Um, and very loving um, to me. And so at that point, uh, we get fast forward a, a several years. I'm working at big corporate, working extensive hours where we start having a family. And I said, I feel like I cannot live out um, this life. I feel like I'm still unbalanced. And that's always been um, a thing for me is just work. I love to work. And, uh, and that's kind of been, um, you know, my, my um, crutch from... Um, uh, all from my early beginnings. And so we decided to move to Tulsa to be closer to family. And at this time, my thought is, I want to reconcile with my brother. I want to um, come back and make that right. And just by God's grace, um, I'm, in, you know, I'm in community now. I have guys and families that I conf confess my sins to. And... Um, Again, now we have a beautiful family. Um, again, it's, it's, it's still a rocky road. We still have our things. We still, the, the, you know, being sanctified, uh, still learning, still mm -hmm. just a desire and heart for uh, learning more of who he is. And, um, but it's just really neat now that um, just looking back in my life where God's hand mm -hmm. was in it from day one, even when I did not believe in him, mm -hmm. trust in him, and had nothing to do with it, but he softened my heart. Mm. And I like what you said last week about, and it really resonated, is being soft around the edges, but hard in the center, and stand firm for what you believe. And I believe I was the exact opposite growing up. I was hard and rough around the edges, but my heart was tender, mm. 
and God broke it hmm. and filled that up in my life. Hmm. And again today, it's we have three kids and um, God. yeah, and just living out life right now. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of where we're at Oof. at this day. So praise God, yeah. Bray. Yeah. Thank you. Let's thank Bray. <laughs> Father, Father, we thank you for what you've done in Bray's life and in Jonah's life. Thank you that you've been faithful. And as you've been faithful in the past, we know you're faithful now and you will be faithful forever. Pray that you help us to be attentive to what you're doing. Bless Bray and the vulnerability of sharing a story in Jonah too. Pray that you guard their hearts and minds and bring honor to yourself, Jesus, through their life and their story. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Bray.